Hey, Jerome. Hello, Laura. How are you? I am doing so well. I am sitting here envious that you got to meet Cory Booker this afternoon. I know. It yeah. was so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That um, was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. He was amazing. I, you know, I've got several favorite candidates, mm -hmm. potential candidates, uh, including my own Senator Kamala Harris, of course. Right. Um, yeah. But we were lucky enough to get to go to this fundraiser this afternoon. So there were probably like 50 people there and um, he gave a speech and ha took some questions and we got to take a selfie with him. And, and he is as awesome in person as he yes. is whenever you see him. Yes, You're a I fan. have long been a fan, long been a fan. One of my favorite memories is, of course, the time that he came up to me and introduced himself, but like uh, <laughs> one of my favorite, Was that other Aspen favorite ideas? pardon. Was that at Aspen Ideas Festival? Yeah, yeah. But um, when I had my uh, mentoring group, I had them transcribe a Cory Booker uh, speech uh, and then they... Um, you know, had a contest of presenting the speech like Corey did. Oh, really? And, oh, yeah, yeah. High school kids, right? No, these were middle school. Oh, they were middle school. Yeah, it was so good, man. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. he is amazing. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It's it's exciting. I, he gave me hope. Um, for for the what he's bringing to this election. You know, who knows if he's going to be the the candidate or not, but he it gives me hope that there are people out there in the public sphere who are bringing this message of inclusiveness and something bigger than ourselves and um, kind of calling to our higher ideals and our morality. You know, it's yes, it feels I, good. I like one thing that David Brooks said about him. Um, being, I think it was radically grateful. It just has a, mm. just a radical sense of gratitude. Mm. And That's nice. that will make you be present. You know, that will make you pay attention to what's in front of you. Yeah. And, well, that, and accepting it. Well, that you just segued us perfectly, Jerome, into our, into our book today. <clears throat> which is a book called Radical Acceptance by Tara Brock. And I read this book years ago, and I was just rereading it again, actually listening to it again in preparation for this episode. And I told somebody at the Cory Booker party today, like, I feel like it's one of those books that I should, as soon as I'm done reading it, I should start reading it again. Like, it should basically just be, ongoing yes. in my life 24 7 yes yes because it's just it's one of those books um and she's amazing we actually rob and i actually went to a workshop with her a few years ago up at spirit rock and she's an amazing teacher she's a um, buddhist teacher she's a psychotherapist is she a psychologist jerome do you know um i'm not sure <clears throat> but she does I'm not sure therapy mm -hmm. um, but she's mostly a meditator and a and a Buddhist teacher um, she lives in the DC area I believe and uh, and she's got a great I don't know whether you'd call it a podcast or not 
um, and I don't have my phone with me to check, but she has great meditations online. If you look for Tara Brock in your podcast world, you'll be able to find them. Um, she's really good. Um, but yeah, so this book, Jerome, I know you love this book as well. Do you want to talk about your experience with it before we get into the, the lessons? Uh, read no farther than the title and just practice that. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just, I love the book because I love the title and the title is the, my favorite um, psychotherapy treatment. My favorite intervention is radical acceptance. And it's uh, a tool that one of my favorite psychologists, Marsha Linehan, she's a researcher mostly, um, has done a lot of research with borderline personality disorder, but um, radical acceptance is accepting things as they are, not as you wish they the, them to be. Mm -hmm. And sooner you do that, the sooner you get to go on with life. And I, I, I mean, the book, you know, goes into that deeper, but just the idea of communing with the hand that God has dealt mm. just um, moves me. This is what God said it's going to be. And the sooner you go with that, you can move on with life. And, right. And on to the next gifts or the next sufferings. Right, right. Well, and so is this something that you use? And we'll talk a little bit about more what she means by radical acceptance in a bit. But is this... Uh, philosophy something that you use actively in your practice with your patients probably um um more than anything i think that's the uh, you know the candidness the frankness you know that people appreciate that want my style of um treatment mm -hmm. um that's it's because i you know i've got this opinion that reality is god Mm. And, um, you know, you don't buck up against God. Mm. Mm. That's, I would imagine, depending on where somebody is when they right. come to you. <laughs> That's what I said. You know, the people that like me, that, that like my style, you know, the, the, you know, that's, they, they um, deal with, they, they're really receptive to it, but it's a little fast for some people, you know? Right, right. And I imagine you, you may be getting there with, when you just start with someone, um, but it maybe takes you a while to, to en engage with that idea fully with people, or is it a first session? <laughs> it's, <laughs> Figure out how know, to deal with it. You know, it just depends. If I, I think it's a respect thing. I think it's a respect thing to, to not, um, um, to not collude with anybody's resistance to, um, again, I'll say to God, and um, wait. To, what do you mean by that? Like not kind of caught up their sense of not accepting the reality. Well, I had I had dinner with the one of my little twenty two year olds last night. Who, it's like I really need. I he's one of a kid, awesome black kid that I mentor, and he said that uh, on Wednesday his girlfriend broke up with him, and he needed to talk to me. He really needed me now, <laughs> and so we went to dinner, 
and um you know he um, it's just like i'm like you're not doing yourself any favor by wishing that she you know didn't want to break up with you you're you're mm-hmm. it's done move forward you know and don't resist the grief it's supposed to hurt if you right. really liked her it's supposed to hurt hurt just hurt for 90 days no more than 90 days <laughs> yeah wow um well i think that's interesting i think your your view of radical acceptance or how you use it in therapy i should say is definitely an aspect of what this book is about um tara uses this term really about herself and like ex- not so much accepting your circumstances, although that's obviously part of it, but she uses it in a way of like, we are in a culture where we just feel like we're not enough. We're always beating ourselves up, always trying to be better. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast, right? Like we're trying to be better parents and trying to save our kids a lot of grief from the future. Like we're kind of always trying to be better, do more. We're not good enough. And, um, and so she applies it specifically to her and is specifically to this idea of recognizing that we are enough and radically accepting yourself as you are. And, and I chose this book for this podcast in part because um, you know, Nora's getting into more of the social media stuff. She's not allowed Instagram yet, but she's on Pinterest and, you know, she texts and everything. But I know that that's a real problem. And you've probably seen this in your practice where people compare themselves to right. how their friends are looking or what, mm-hmm. you know, Emma Chamberlain or whoever the hot, you know, mm-hmm. influencer is of the day. Um, and it's hard to, to always be seeing so many different people in so many different ways of life and feeling like you're, you're measuring up. And I think for right. kids, especially it's something to, to instill in them that yes, you are, you are perfect as you are. You are as God made you to use your God language from earlier. Right. 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 And, and it sucks that your your one of my friends, her daughter, beautiful brunette, smart, and it hurt to hear her say that people don't think she's pretty at her school, and um, because she doesn't look like what they call pretty at her school, you know, the blonde, mm-hmm. tiny girl. And you know, it's like her mom's listening to this. I'm listening to this, and it's like, oh my god, that must hurt. And that's a part of her reality. You know, and I think it's probably, you know, I mean, this is a 16-year-old, but, um, you know, helping her understand, yeah, that's right. It sucks, you know, if you have a certain look at your school, you're not considered as pretty as the girls that have that look. And that's a part of the reality and the, the discomfort that you must experience, you know, um, knowing that is part of your experience. Right. Well, there's, the, there's a few quotes that I pulled out that I, th- I thought were particularly good. And one of them kind of speaks to that. 
she says in the book, the moment we believe something is wrong, our world shrinks and we lose ourselves in the effort to combat the pain. And I think that's just such a, um, this idea of your world shrinking, you know, she actually uses a story. Tara is great with stories when she's both when she's speaking and in the book, she's really good at weaving in stories. And, and she tells the story of this, um, this, uh, white tiger at the Washington DC zoo. And for years, the tiger had lived in like a, a like the old school, remember from the Memphis zoo, <laughs> sure. yes. Yes. the old school cages with, the, you know, 12 by 12 with the bars and the concrete floor. I remember yeah. seeing the, the apes, I think in there mm-hmm. in, in Memphis. But anyway, so this white tiger was living in this confined inside confined cage. And then somebody, a biologist at the zoo, petitioned and finally won to get this tiger a big, open, outside, like acres of natural habitat. Had hills and trees and a pond, and they let this tiger out into her beautiful new habitat, and immediately the tiger went to the corner of the habitat and stayed in the 12 by 12 patch of grass and like paste it until it was just worn bare. Mm -hmm. And it's that kind of thing. Like it makes you being, um, when you feel like you're in pain and you don't feel like you're enough, you're in that cage. Right. Right. And even if the world is open around you and your, your client and her mom, like she's going to see when she gets out into the real world, how beautiful she is because we know that right we can see what's ahead for her she can't feel that right now but all we can hope is that she learns to get out of that mindset of how she feels now yes yes and you know i mean you know uh and not get too uh philosophical in explaining to her (laughs) you know that she might even always feel that way. Right. You know, uh, if you're talking to your black son that's 14, they, you know, it's just like their skin color is never going to change. Mm-hmm. And they may always feel like people are afraid of them. Mm-hmm. And that is part of their life experience that they have to carry with them. And, um, you know, but it's, there's room for more than that. You don't have to stay in the pathway over in the corner of the cage, 12 by 12, that, and just keep, you know, wearing that, that path out. Right, right. Well, she's, she, what she says is the, you know, the, she calls it a paradox, which it is, is like the, the key to overcoming this, or, or kind of, changing this dynamic is that when you accept yourself as you are, if you have radical acceptance for yourself, then that's when you can actually change. And I know that doesn't work for a black kid who can't change his skin color, but if you have an opinion about yourself that you don't, something about yourself you don't like, when you finally accept it, then you are kind of free to do something different. Yes. Yes. Which is... I mean, right. that, that's the hard thing. <laughs> that's the hard but I thing. don't think it's like that hard. I think like, yeah, I feel 
like the um uh the most unpopular person in the room okay and then that's one feeling there's room for feeling more than just that uh now i am laughing my ass off because you know something just happened across the room that i think it's so funny you know and you just in, indulge yourself in that one as well um while wow, this food is so delicious while wow, this punch tastes so great you know it's mm-hmm. like living the feeling life um right. when you're happy you're happy and when you're not you're not when you're grieving the loss of someone you love you know until when you're not grieving when you don't feel that you know, um, then feel whatever else you're feeling. Be pissed when you're pissed. I mean, radically accepting whatever it is that you're feeling in the moment um, and not trying to, you know, like that kid last night, you know, it's just like, dude, you're supposed to feel like shit. You've been dating this girl five years. Oh, wow. Breathe it, feel it, hurt. Like, yeah. And um, don't try to distract yourself from it. Just like say, this damn sucks, you know? Yeah. And um, it won't suck forever. You'll see something funny. Um, you'll get hit on. Um, <laughs> and you know what? Uh, he sent me a text later and said, I left dinner feeling so great. And now this little old white lady just hit my car and I just had a car accident. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, poor kid. I know. When it rains, of course. I know. I'm like, well, do you need me to come and get you or anything? <laughs> you know, but the cool thing was that, like, he went from feeling grief to feeling great to feeling frustrated, you know, and and accepting all of those states. Right. Well, um, and I think that leads into this idea of, of what you said before, too, of paying attention. And, and another quote that I liked from the book is, by paying attention, well, actually, let me start a sentence earlier. Attention is the most basic form of love. By paying attention, we let ourselves be touched by life and our hearts naturally become more open and engaged. And I think that's what you're saying is like, if you allow yourself to accept what is, you can be more present and pay more attention and taste the food and recognize that you, you're frustrated when the old white lady <laughs> hits your car. And, right. um, and there's, a, there's a, heart, a heartbreaking open aspect of that, of being right. touched by life that I think. Right. Um, that is, radical gratitude, that the radical sense of gratefulness that Cory Booker has. Right, right. Um, there's a she a funny little piece she had too was Jules Pfeiffer is a cartoonist, and she she says, as cartoonist Jules Pfeiffer puts it, I grew up to have my father's looks, my father's speech patterns, my father's posture, my father's walk, my father's opinions, and my mother's contempt for my father. <laughs> <laughs> that's so yes. great isn't it <laughs> yes 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 but that does how i mean i don't know about you but it does feel like how i walk around the world sometimes is like why did you do this oh why why couldn't you have said that why so you're you're not only like acting out in ways that you don't want to you have contempt which is of such a powerful word um you have contempt for not having your shit together. And it's like this double whammy that just keeps, keeps going and 
And if you've ever started carving that pathway out, it's easy to get back to that part. If if you've ever been a strong self-critic, you can always get back there. And Mm -hmm. so, but I bet you don't walk around like that after you've had an excellent hike and, (laughs) and, and, you know, and come back and drink like watermelon lemonade. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you just can't go there because you don't, biochemistry calls the shots. And if you're not feeling crusty, if you don't have a biochemical crusty cocktail going, flowing through your body, you're not going to have that train of thought. Right. You say, right. You're like, move on. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Right. I'm validating your, I'm validating (laughs) your thing. You're talking about biochemistry and I'm not, I, I'm not a, a scientist. I don't have your training. I don't. Well, I know, I know, but I'm just saying that means that you didn't go to, you went to um, restorative yoga, not power yoga. If you go to power yoga <laughs> and it's really hot, you're not going to have those kind of thoughts because you'll just be so, you'll just, you know, you can't go there. <laughs> so you're pushing uh, power yoga over restorative yoga? Well, I love restorative <laughs> yoga. Oh my God, it's my favorite thing. And I've never done restorative yoga. So <sighs> is it good? It's Everybody so talks good. about it, you know. It, well, it, it, it's good. It would be good for someone like you who, who does so much active stuff outside of yoga. Uh-huh. But because all it is is lying around in different positions, like opening yourself up for like Mm-mm. five minutes at a time. I ain't wanting to lie around unless somebody touching me. I'm just gonna tell you. I just <laughs> okay, fair I enough. I don't want to hold still unless I'm being touched. <laughs> fair enough. Um, I was just looking to see if there are any other. There's one, and this gets back to why I thought this was important for Nora's age and kind of this teen years, where I'm reading this book that I think I mentioned last time, the Untangled book about helping girls go through teenagerhood and talking about how important a tribe is at that age, Um, finding their tribe, you know, distancing, pulling away from parents and finding their tribe. And, and so, so Tara talks about, um, about that in this way. She says, we yearn for an unquestioned experience of belonging to feel at home with ourselves and with others at ease and fully accepted but the trance of unworthiness keeps the sweetness of belonging out of reach. And you know, it kind of goes to the themes we've been talking about, but this, I think this idea, especially for kids going into, you know, the tween age, going into teenagerhood who are really looking to belong. Um, I think this is particularly important to, help them figure out how to get out of that trance of unworthiness so that they can see the wonders of themselves and feel like they, they do belong and they deserve to belong and people want to belong with them. Um, And you can't make them feel that unless they have evidence to suggest it or reflect it. And I think that, it's really hard when when you're 12 you're like trying to you you you're defining who you are i mean you're going through a self identity stage and you do that by uh, 
hanging Comparing. out with this person, hanging out with, not hanging out with that person. And so, you know, that comparison. Oh, yeah, you just said comparison. I thought you said I can't hear you. Oh, and so, well, no, I'm glad you yeah, did. Comparison. It and it's important state. I like that. I don't like that. I like that. I don't like that. That's cool. That's not. Yeah. And so I think it's, you know, I'm not, um, I mean, you know, up on my developmental psychology, but yeah, it's where you're supposed to be. And if you feel the person that feels worthy um, and doesn't question that, you know, that's probably rare, but it, I'm sure it does happen. I imagine it happens more in boys than girls. The boy that is a super athlete and, um, you know, really strong, got his physicality. I think that, that um, that's not shy, that plays sports, um, that warms up to people easily he's gonna not doubt his worthiness as much if he's surrounded by a lot of people. Right. At 14. Well, well don't you think though, if there's this, um, this, it's, it, I get it. You, they're going to be comparing themselves to each other where they, where they fit, who's in what group. And that's a natural part of this evolution for kids. But don't you think they come into that stronger if, if they feel like they're worthy, if they can get out of this mindset or not get into the rut of always comparing down, mm -hmm. you know, I, or I'm not, ma I'm not um, measuring up. Right. That, that's right. different to compare and contrast than it is to like, feel like you're not measuring up by comparison. Yeah, so that that probably starts with the parent planting different seed on the front end. You know, if you're telling your daughter when they grow up or your your child, you know, to not stick out or you don't get too big for your britches or mm -hmm. you need to mind, you know, you can knock your child down and make them question themselves before they even start to question right. themselves. You know, uh, not meaning to, of course, not even meaning to, you know, maybe even trying to protect them from not, you know, from it's not adaptive to always stick out in certain villages or certain neighborhoods. Right. But um, I, I, I was having dinner with friends one night and their three kids are freaking adorable and outrageous. And I was asking them what they were afraid of, like. You know, and they're like, like, what do you mean? And I said, well, like, are you afraid of death? And they're like, no, silly. We're Christians. We're not afraid of death. You know, and I was wow. like, dang, that is so cool, man. That's some good Bible school. I mean, <laughs> uh, Sunday school. They just don't even question it because their parents didn't, you know, present it to them that way, that they needed to be afraid of death because, you know, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're okay. And, and it, you know, just think that that frees up a lot of bandwidth. <laughs> yeah. What do you think kids worry about the kids who aren't Christians worry about that? Um, I just ask death. I think, are you afraid that uh, anybody will like you at that school? I mean, you know, it's just like, I, I think that they're very confident kids. 
I mean, that's just one example of how their parents have poured into them that they were special and they don't question their worth as much because they have gotten this sufficient dose of, you know, of, of, of love. Well, and I think that that gets to something too, that you hear the, um, and we may have talked about it before, but this whole idea of parents these days making their kids, telling their kids they're special. So the opposite of making them feel unworthy, making them feel like they are special, too special, <laughs> which also can be a, a setup for disaster if you're, if you're always feeling like your shit doesn't stink, you'll, you'll, you'll get that schooled. Right. in very quickly once you get to middle school mm-hmm. you're going to find out that it does right right well it might in some regards i'm for i'm all for miscalibrating your kid to be feeling special and miscalibrating them to feel overly confident and well, you, you mean you like that yeah i'd rather overdo it than underdo it and um, but that's coming from an affluent mindset. I mean, you know, that's yeah. that's not coming from the projects or the trailer park where if you're sticking out and, um, you know, and trying to act as if you're better than everybody, um, that's probably not adaptive in that zip code. But in a zip code where, you know, everybody's special, everybody's doing their own thing and there's enough to go around, that's, it's it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Right. Well, what well do you that's think? actually, you know, how the, the rich stay richer is because they, they keep, they tell their kids that um, they're special and serve this. Can do whatever they want to do. And, and they believe it and they have that confidence and I mean, fate and life and girls and guys of their own age, break their heart and kick their ass, but, and wake them up to the truth. But, you know, meanwhile, you know, um, the, the crowds part, the seas part for them because they act like, you know, they exude this confidence that it ought to part for them. Right. They belong there. Right. Yeah. They don't have to earn their place. And if they do get knocked down, you know, wanting to get back to that zip code where, you'll find another way. It's like, uh, oh, wow, that felt so good. Okay, I'll do, I'll live like this. I'll find another way to get back to that place where Mm. I felt a strong sense of belonging. I felt loved and I felt safe. Well, that gives me hope that you feel like that, again, in our respective zip codes, that this is what parents are doing these days. So maybe... Tara's book was written for people of her and my and your generation who Mm -hmm. didn't get those those messages from our parents oh my gosh no 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 I well you did I my sixth grade teacher I remember my mom telling me that have I ever told this story like my mom told me um there was some kids from less fortunate backgrounds, some uh, other black kids from uh, less fortunate backgrounds. And my mom was telling me that you are not like them. You, 
da 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 you know you're in a better you know she's just making sure that i didn't adopt the ways of their particular zip code or neighborhood because she didn't see that as adaptive i could never be by Byron Gumble, Brian Gumble, <laughs> if I was going to act like I was from the Lamar Terrace in her mind. And that, wow. that, you remember that housing project? Yes, I did. And so she just like pointed that out to me. And I remember the next day, I don't think she meant to me to do this. I know she didn't, but I remember asking my sixth grade teacher, Miss Lentz, can I see you in the hall? And she's like, okay. And so we go out in the hall and she's like, what's going on? And I was like, I just want you to know that I'm not like the rest of them. Oh, Jerome. (laughs) And she was just like, I remember putting her hand, her hair behind her ear and nodding and saying, okay, okay. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's all. (laughs) So I only reflect back on that, like, I guess years later, yeah, when my mom died, I was thinking about things like my mom told me, and that was one of them. I was like, I can't believe what that lady must have thought, what Miss Lentz must have thought. She probably thought it was adorable. Well, you know she told that story as soon as she got to the teacher's lounge. (laughs) Just want you to know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I know you remember everything, so it doesn't surprise me that you remember that, but it does sound like it was something that made a big impression on you yes at that age yeah yeah you you make your kids you know it's just like your kid thinks they're gifted athletically gifted uh, linguistically gifted a lot of times you you start the pathway for that and then you know uh, if they don't like it you don't continue to push them and that god you're such a great writer you know it's just like you might start them doing it you know um, that writing career because you right. told them that. Right, right. Well, um, I just want to say again that I, I love this book and especially for us parents, being parents, I think being a parent takes a lot of radical acceptance too about um, your fears about how you're doing it and just life in general. But I think it's an amazing book and I think uh, it is something good to keep in mind with your kids. What do you have for us, Jerome, in terms of a billboard for radical acceptance? As it is, and then in capital letters, are as you wish. As it is or as you wish. Right. Tell me, tell me about that. Tell me how, you, how you're reading and that. And then a big question mark. You know, ah. Right. So as it is or as you wish. Um, um, because you're, you want people just to be able to distinguish between the two. Between the two. Right. You know, um, if we can do some more God speak. Is it, you know, is it God or is it you? Mm. Right. Well, and it's your, yeah, it's what like, are God you? God wants what you want. Yeah. What God wants or what you want. It's right. The same thing. Or what you're bringing to it, you know, what your, what your mind is bringing to what really is going on. You can right. choose to stay in your mind about it or you can just open your eyes. 
And 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 let me tell you, you know, denial is one of our best tools. Sometimes you ain't ready for what God wants. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. denial mm-hmm. is a tool that keeps you safe until you can truly handle whatever right. it is that you've got to deal with. It might just be too too much, you know, for the moment. Right, right. Yeah. Well, thank you for talking with me, Jerome, about this wonderful book. Again, yes. highly recommend it. Um, yes. The audiobook is really nicely read too, not by Tara, but by somebody else who has a Tara essence. So I yes. think it's also really good. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. So let's <laughs> go off um, to the rest of our Saturday with radical acceptance for, for ourselves and for each other. I shall, and I shall also let you know how this roasted bok choy tastes. I like. I'm gonna. I'm living it up on a Saturday. Oh I'm gonna eat roasted bok choy. Good for you. I love the new gourmet Jerome Bird. <laughs> All right. All girl. right. Love Great you. talking to. You. Love you too. Bye. Take care. Bye bye.